This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Hey, we're, we're in a series uh, about the questions that Jesus asked. He was a world-class question asker, and today we're, we're looking at this question that I believe is as powerful and meaningful for us today as it was to the people that he first asked this question. Here it is. Why are you so afraid? If you have your Bibles, go over to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4 and 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Remember a couple of these key phrases, that's one to remember. There were also other boats with him. That's another thing to remember here in a minute. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, remember that, sleeping on a cushion, remember that. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, our question for today, why are you so afraid? He follows it up with another question. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Before we get into this question, why are you so afraid, and ask, answer the question for them and for us, I just wanna uh, just help you uh, as you engage the scriptures, I want you to have reason to have confidence that they're true. And, and so the, as you look at this this uh, um, account of this story, uh, there, there's a, a, a well-respected scholar from Cambridge, and she was saying this. She was saying, my instinct in reading this story would be to see it as fable, le- legend, or myth, this idea of this man who is calming this storm and the, at sea. But, but she said, but the, the way in which the story is written is completely foreign to ancient literature and how one would write a fiction or a myth or a legend. And, 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 the, and, and the significant difference is the use of what seems to be meaningless details that don't make the story better at all. And so a few of these that we see right off the bat, it says, and Jesus, just as he was in the boat. So 435 is going back to chapter four, verse one. I think we have it on the screen. This is where this chapter begins. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowds that gathered him were so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So Jesus, in order to create some distance from the crowd so the people could see him and hear him, he goes out a little bit onto the, um, into the lake. Everyone else is on the shore. And so as we catch up in verse 35, it tells us it's the same day, he's in the same boat. And he says, just, and it says, and he went just as he was. It's like, it's not like he went to shore, grabbed his stuff, changed his clothes, had something to eat. He says, he was in the same boat and he went just as he was. And it tells us that there were other boats there. There were other boats with him. 
Now these other boats are never again referenced later in the story. There's no, these, these boats play no role in the story. We're just given this seemingly useless detail. That Mark tells us where Jesus was sleeping. That Mark tells us that he was sleeping on a cushion. And so what we see here is a situation where in the ancient world before this time, and really up until a couple hundred years ago, this idea of realistic fiction was completely foreign to literature. And so this is very much the words of somebody recounting something that they saw. They're saying, hey, it was the same day. It was after that time where he was out teaching on the boat and he was out in the water. And then, and then he went out into the lake. And oh yeah, and there were some other boats there too. And yeah, he was sleeping in the stern. He was on this cushion. It's all of these details that, that don't make the big part of the story any better at all, written in a way that you never saw in ancient literature, this idea of detailed, um, realistic-like fiction it was, it was not a thing when it came to myth, legend, or fiction, really until modern times. And, and so it's a, it's a reason that we can look at this story and say, hey, this isn't just made up. This thing actually happened. But well, let's, let's talk here about why are we so afraid? Here's the first truth. We're so afraid because life is unpredictable and uncontrollable. And Matthew's account of this story, Matthew 8, 23 says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. It was out of nowhere. There's, there's times you can see a storm coming, like pretty much every afternoon the last couple of weeks at like 3.30. Like, oh, it's gonna rain. Where do we even live? And uh, but there's times it's just out of nowhere. There was this moment, suddenly, the, this sudden, unpredictable, uncontrollable nature of life. If you, the thing is, if you had the capacity to know everything that was gonna happen in advance, and if you had the capacity to change anything that you didn't want to happen, then you would have zero fears in life. But the nature of life and the nature of this story here is that we see that, that, that life is unpredictable, it's uncontrollable. When my mom died, when I was 20 years old, it felt sudden because it was sudden. She had what we thought was the flu. Turned in that out, it was this terrible infection. She went from kind of sick one afternoon to, to dead before the next morning. It felt sudden because it was sudden. When the economy tanked in 2008, even though some people might have seen it coming, it did feel to most people it felt pretty sudden. When the pandemic hit in March of 2020, it felt pretty sudden. If you're like, oh, no, I saw that. I saw that coming for a year. I'm like, well, did, did you buy a bunch of stock and hand sanitizer and masks? <laughs> Otherwise, you did not see it coming. You'd be rich now if you saw that coming. The nature of life, it's unpredictable. It, it's uncontrollable. A survey was done, the top 10 fears uh, of Americans in 2022. It revealed that about 85% of Americans live with some sense of impending doom. There, there's this fear, and, and let's see, look at the list here. Number one fear of Americans in 2022 is their government. It doesn't matter which political party you are, you look, you look at your government and say, at least half those people are lying to me, at least half those people are on the take. Government officials, we fear our government more than anything else. People I love becoming seriously ill. 
People, Russia using nuclear weapons. People I love dying. Another world war. Pollution of drinking water. Not having enough money for the future. Economic financial collapse. Pollution again. Biological warfare. It's this, it, we, we see in this story that life is unpredictable and life is uncontrollable and left to ourselves, that takes us to a place of fear. But we see in this story, life is unpredictable, life's uncontrollable to us, but it is not to God. Here's, here is the next thing we see. Why are we so afraid? We're so afraid because we think that God doesn't know about or God doesn't care about what I'm going through. We see here, it says that they're in this boat, there were other boats with them, this furious squall comes up, the waves broke over the boat, nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care? Jesus is asleep. They're wondering, does Jesus even know that this is going down? He's asleep, he seems like he doesn't even know, doesn't, and then well, they awaken him, and the first question they say is, don't you even care? He seems not to know, he seems not to care. And I think every single one of us, at some point in our faith journey, have faced something so difficult in our lives that we ask ourselves, does God even see that I'm going through this? Does he even know that I'm facing this? And if he does see, does he even care? Isaiah 43, I think, uh, is, gives us a beautiful answer to this question, does he see, does he care? Isaiah writing, to this, uh, the, the people of Israel, but it applies to us, the people of God today, just as much. It says, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Why? For I've redeemed you, I've saved you, I've set you free, I've purchased you for myself. I have summoned you by name. And so the question is, does God see, does he, does he care? He says, I, I created you, I formed you, I've saved you. I know you by name. It's a person, he knows what's going on with you. It's personal. You are mine, you belong to me, it's personal. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over. He says, I don't just know, I don't just care. I'm with you in this storm. They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So in those moments in life, you say, does God even see? Does God even care? In those moments in life where you feel fear creeping in, beginning to control you, it's a time to step back and say, my God sees. He's not sleeping on the job, he sees. He cares, he's with me in this. I don't have to be afraid. When I know that God sees me and cares and is with me, I don't have to be afraid. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, fear is not simply an emotion we have to overcome. It's a spiritual power that controls us. But when we understand that the power of God's love is infinitely greater than our fears, we can find the courage to face anything. Here's the third answer. Why are we so afraid? It's because we believe that death is the worst thing that can happen to us. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
He says, we're, we're about to die here. This boat's about to capsize. We're about to sink. We are too far from shore to swim back. We are for sure about to die. It's this fear of death that is dominating them. And here's this truth. Fear keeping me from being fully alive is actually worse than fully living and then one day dying. See, when I'm gripped by fear, I'm not fully alive. When I'm gripped by fear, I'm incapable of fully loving. When I'm gripped by, by fear, I, I'm just going through the motions of life, not living life to the fullest. And it, and it seems like some people are beginning to realize that this is the thing we should most be afraid of. There was a, a survey where people are asked, what's your greatest fear? And, and of course, many people said the fear of dying or the fear of losing a loved one, the fear of dying alone, the fear of not having enough money, those common fears that we tend to think about. But 22% of those that people that answered the question, what's your greatest fear? It was somehow related to this, the, the fear of not really living. Let me share with you some of these quotes. My biggest fear is never taking a risk in an effort to find my true calling. My greatest fear is to go through life. I love this little phrase that defines what happens when we're gripped by fear. My greatest fear is to go through life living small, but not realizing it until it's too late. My greatest fear would be missing out on my purpose here on earth I know I have a purpose that I am not yet serving. My greatest fear would be to go through life without leaving a positive mark. My greatest fear is regretting all that I didn't do as I lay in my hospital bed as an elderly man. See, to, death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Living, when we allow fear to grip us, it keeps us from really living. The Bible is clear, crystal clear, that for the Christian, the worst thing that, death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. In fact, it tells us, really presents it the opposite way. Paul said, for the Christian, to die is actually gain. And if we actually go through life with that not just something in our head, but really in, in our hearts, that to die is actually gain as a follower of Jesus. It's this, it liberates me from going through life gripped by fear that keeps me from really living. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and, and so the, the Bible really paints this opposite picture that, that death for the Christian is not the worst thing that's, that can happen to us. In many ways, in most ways, ultimately, it is the best thing that can happen to us. Not that we don't want to be good stewards of our lives today and live out the purpose that God has for us today in this life, but the day that we die for the Christian is the best day of our lives. And so these disciples, what was on their mind, their greatest fear is that they were about to die out there on that boat. There's this giant hurricane-like storm and they said, Jesus, you are asleep. Are you even paying attention? Jesus, we've woken you up now. Do you even care that we're about to die? For them, the worst thing in that moment was that they could die. And then when we go through life that way, it keeps us from really living. And, and, and for those of us that are parents, a, a concern I have for, 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 for us as parents is that if we're going through life gripped by fear, 
we're going to raise children gripped by fear. There was a guy in 1975 named Roger Hart. He conducted a study on where children felt safe to play. He focused on 86 children between the ages of five to 12 in a small town in Vermont. Hart would follow the kids throughout the day, documenting everywhere the children went by themselves. He then took that information and made physical maps that measured the distance each child was allowed to go by themselves and what the average was for every age group. I don't know about you, but, but for me in the 80s, in the summertime, it's like I'd wake up, eat breakfast, and as long as I was home by dark, I mean, at the end of the day, they really didn't even want me home before dark. I was that kind of kid. Hey, just be home, you know, before dark, which in the summer is like 9.30 at night. And so this, uh, but here's what he did. He discovered that these kids had remarkable freedom. Even four to five-year-olds traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods. And by the time they were 10, most of the kids had the run of the entire town. Again, small town in Vermont. And the kids' parents weren't worried either. Back in 2014, he went to the same town, did the same study, and, and, and what he found was this. Hart said, they just didn't have to take me very far. He says, we really just walked around their property. They didn't leave their backyard. In other words, the huge circle of freedom on the maps had grown tiny. Hart added, there is no free range outdoors. Even when the kids are older, parents now say, I need to know where you are at all times. But what's odd about this, Hart says, is that the town is not any more dangerous now than it was then. There's literally no more crime there today than there was 40 years ago. Now listen, some of us probably did grow up with too much freedom. I went to a private school in the middle of downtown Dallas. It was owned by the church our family attended. And so Wednesday nights, I'd get out, Wednesday afternoons, I'd get out of school at 3.30. We'd have Wednesday night church at 6.30. At like nine years old, I was roaming around downtown Dallas. Me and my buddies were just roaming around. There's a Wendy's four blocks away. Let's go, let's go get a Frosty. And there was no sense that anything was wrong. You would probably have your children taken from you today if you did that. So for sure, some of us had too much freedom, but, but I wonder, I think there's a balance to be found. There's a balance to be found for each family, and none of us, obviously, none of us want great harm to come to our kids, but we must balance the, the relatively small risk of something significant harming our kids versus raising up a generation of fearful children that then become fearful adults. We must wrestle with this. Where is that balance for our family. And so why are we so afraid? Here's the last thing. We're so afraid because we make our circumstances bigger than our God. We see verse 39, Mark 4, 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. I like how Luke says this same um, verse here. It says, where is your faith? He asked the disciples. It says, in fear and amazement, 
They asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Here's what we see is happening with the disciples in this moment. The disciples are in this transformative moment that I believe God wants to have for us to experience. They're in this moment where they are trading scary fear for holy fear. A few minutes before, they're, 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 they're scared to death of, of wind and waves and a storm and dying. Scary fear. But, but now they, they have seen, though, the wind and the waves have been calmed by something larger than them. And now they're in this moment of holy amazement that uses this word terrified, this word they were in fear and amazement. It's this holy fear, this recognizing that, that, that God is bigger than me and anything I'm going to face this appropriate sense of awe at the God of the universe. Oswald Chambers says it this way. The remarkable thing about fearing God, again, like, not like a scary fear, but this reverence, this awe, this amazement. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. In those moments in your life when you begin to feel gripped by fear, let it be an alarm, let it be a wake-up call that what I'm doing is, is I'm making my circumstances bigger than my God. I'm, I'm living in fear of these people or these circumstances, and, and, and I'm not living with an appropriate fear, amazement, and awe of how big my God is. Is. You see, what we see here is Jesus shows us a couple of things here. He shows us this principle. Either my fears will be big and my faith will be small, or my faith will be big and my fears will be small. So that, that's why Jesus combines the two questions. He says, why are you so afraid? And then he answers the first question with, with the second question. He says, do you still have no faith? You see, either my fears will be big and my faith will be small, or my faith will be big and my fears will be small. See, what Jesus is, is showing us is a couple of things about himself here. He, he's showing us that he has the power that only God has, and that his power dwarfs any problem or fear we will ever face. See, the ancient world, no matter where you lived, no matter what God or gods you believed in, everyone believed that, that only God could control the ocean. Everyone believed that. That if you, have you ever just like been on a coastline, maybe on the Pacific, maybe in SoCal, at one of those spots where, where the big rocks, the, the big waves just come and hit the big rocks over and over again. Big waves against big rocks. And in those moments, you have this awareness of how small you are, that if I was down there, just a few feet in front of those rocks, that there's no way that I would survive more than a few seconds as a giant wave would bash me up against a giant rock. There's this sense that nothing that, that, that compared to the power of the ocean, I am incredibly small and powerless. And so when Jesus, when they're in the middle of this hurricane, this giant storm, the biggest storm they'd ever seen, and, and then when Jesus, with just a few words, says, quiet, be still. What Jesus hears, he's talking to the powerful ocean the way you would talk to your four-year-old. Hey, quiet, be still. Or if you were not a very good parent in that moment, kind of grumpy, maybe not on your A game with your seven-year-old, sit down and shut up. That's how Jesus talks to the ocean. The most powerful force anybody could imagine at the time. Jesus says, quiet, 
be still, and in three words, it obeyed. And, and so there was this declaration, the holy, this sense of fear and amazement as they were recognizing we are in the presence of something other, something divine. But there's even more going on in this story than we even see just at first glance. It was Tim Keller that first helped me, me see that, 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 that Mark is intentionally causing us to, to parallel this story, this true story that actually happened. He's paralleling it with the story we see in the Old Testament the story of Jonah. He, he, see, the thing is, Jesus compares himself to Jonah in Matthew 12, verse 41. He says he's the greater Jonah, or he's the true Jonah, and he's comparing himself as, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, this the son of man will be in the grave for three days, and he says it's just like that, but we see that this parallel to Jonah, Mark takes us to this whole new place. It sh shows us a few things. In both stories, both Jesus and Jonah are both out at sea in a boat. Second thing we see is both Jesus and Jonah's boats are overtaken by a storm. The description of the storms is almost identical. Third, both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in the storm. Fourth, the sailors come to the sleeper in both stories and they say, we're dying here, we're perishing. In fact, the Greek translation of the Old Testament even uses the same exact Greek word as we see here, this, this word for dying, we're perishing, opolemi. It's, this, it's the same message the sailors come to the sleeping person and say, we're dying here. So they're both out on a boat, they're in a storm, in a boat, they're asleep in a boat. Both of them, the sailors come and say, we're about to die here, and ask them to do something. Fifth, in both cases, there's a miraculous intervention by God, and the sea is calmed. Sixth, in both stories, the last thing we read is the sailors were even more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed. So there's this great storm, everyone's scared to death, God moves in power, and then afterwards there's this whole other sense of fear, this amazement at God's power. And, and, and then what we see is why, why do we, we see these identical stories, but there's this one difference. The one difference that we see is that Jonah comes to the, to, to the sailors and he says, hey, for you to live, I need to die. Throw me out into the water. Jonah says, I've got to give up. He offers to give up his life that they might live. And, he, and then he experiences this figurative resurrection as he's vomited by the big fish onto the beach. Jesus, simply with the power of his word, saves the disciples. In this moment, he does not have to offer his life to die to save, but a short time later would actually give his life to save not just them, but also us. See, see, Jesus in his death and his resurrection. See, Jesus did not experience a figurative resurrection like Jonah who was vomited onto the beach, but Jesus experienced a literal resurrection from the dead. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, he's overcoming all of our greatest fears. Maybe you wrestle with the fear of not being accepted. Jesus took our rejection, experiencing rejection from the Father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that rejection from the Father that we might experience acceptance from the Father forever. Maybe you live with this fear of being alone. 
After his resurrection, Jesus promised, he says, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Maybe, maybe you go through life with that fear of death that's keeping you from really living. You never take a risk, you never take a step. It's just you're just trying to surviving, not fully living and thriving. And, or maybe you just really fear the death of your loved ones. I think we all do. But because Jesus, the greater Jonah, who willingly gave his life, rose from the dead, conquering death and the grave, so that if I know him, I never have to fear death. If my loved ones know him, I know that ultimately we will all be together forever. You know, see, Jesus in his death and resurrection, and ultimately in his return, even takes care of our greatest fear, the government. And that one day he will come again and establish a kingdom of perfect peace and perfect justice. So with, that, with all that in mind, Jesus looks at us, asks the qu same question he asks of those disciples on the boat. He says, why are you so afraid? He's saying nothing that you're facing is a surprise to me. He's saying, I see everything you're going through and I care. He's saying, I am so much greater than any problem or circumstance that you're going to face. I'm so much greater than your fears. And he says, I'm, I'm greater than your daily fears. See, the disciples in this moment were facing a very immediate challenge, a very physical, tangible challenge. They were in the middle of a boat, in the middle of, of, of the sea, with this middle of this biggest storm they'd ever faced. It was immediate and it was tangible. And, and Jesus is with you in your daily fears. And Jesus over came your ultimate fears, your fear of shame, your fear of rejection, your fear of being alone, your fear of death. He overcame all of that by living the perfect life that we could never live, dying the death we deserve to die, rising from the dead, conquering our greatest fears, and that one day he will come and make everything new. Let me pray for you. For, for some of us, this fear thing drives our life, drives our thoughts, drives our choices. And maybe that's you, and if that's you, maybe just in the quietness of your heart, you just confess that to the Lord. I don't wanna keep going through life driven by fear. And for some of you, maybe it's a specific one or two fears. Others of you, maybe it's just most stuff, lots of stuff. Either way, just tell the Lord about that. I don't wanna keep going through life gripped by these specific fears and then name them to him or maybe it's just generalized fear. And then maybe just ask the Lord that, that, that by the power of his spirit, that he would cause you not just in your head but in your heart to have a deep sense that he sees all that you're facing, that he cares about all that you're facing, that he's with you throughout all that you're facing and that he's bigger and stronger than the God who's strong enough to say in, in three words for the ocean, 
to stop and be quiet, to peace, be still, is, is more powerful than anything you're facing in your immediate fears, those tangible things that we face day to day. He's greater than all that. He loves you, he cares, and he's greater than all of your ultimate fears. And that he overcame all of those by willingly dying in our place. Rising from the dead, conquering death so that we never have to fear it. The greatest enemy completely eliminated in the resurrection. And that one day he will come again and make all things the way they were always supposed to be. So Father, we ask that you would, just like you calmed that storm, God, that you would calm the storms in our minds and hearts, the storms of fear, that, that, that just like you brought peace in that storm, that you'd bring peace in our minds and hearts, and that, we, that you would pay, make our faith bigger than our fears, that we would see you as bigger that, than any of our circumstances or problems, and that as our fear and amazement at who you are grows, that our fears would shrink. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.